Welcome to The Digital Couch, a podcast by Value First, featuring global thinkers and their stories. Over to your host now. Hi, everyone. My name is Vijayant. I work for Value First as Senior Vice President, and my job is to help consumer brands automate their marketing communications. Today, we have with us Amit Harlalka, fondly called as Harlalka. And the immediate connection that we have is that we come from the same college, BIT Ranchi. Amit is an alumnus of IIM Lucknow as well and currently works with Tata Digital. With over a decade of experience, Amit has transitioned from a sales to a marketing and then to a digital role. Prior to his current role with the Tata Group, he has worked in marketing and brand management with Loda Group and led new market expansion as VP and GM for China at Capillary, where he was co-innovating on products on WeChat and Alibaba's platforms. His journey has been very interesting, quite inspiring. Uh, I have been following him for quite a few years now, but it'll be good to hear from Amit himself. So hi, Amit. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, We call it The Digital Couch. I'm looking forward to talk to you today. How are you doing? Hi, hi, Vijayant. Uh, Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks for having me over uh, on the podcast. And uh, this should be fun. And I'm glad you brought up our uh, previous connect as well. I, of course, uh, have a lot of fond memories of you uh, on the cricket field, uh, playing for the uh, university team I'm captaining it. So it is uh, good to be speaking with you again and excited about uh, our conversation going forward. Well, yes, fond memories, uh, Amit. Uh, I have an instant smile on my face. So tell us more about your uh, journey as a student from BIT Mesra to then I am Lucknow. And of course, uh, anything that you haven't talked about yet about on your hostel life, how different it was. Any fun facts? Yeah, no, I think uh, uh, BIT Mesra was this uh, very unique uh, place where we... Uh, we got a lot of uh, smart brains uh, from all over, but I think you know, just given the location and the place and and the sort of charm uh, that we had on that seven hundred acre or campus, I think life was very chilled out, super fun. Uh, I think a lot of us, uh, you know, including you and me, uh, with our respective batches, uh, made lasting relationships uh, because you know, for many of us, uh, engineering is really uh, that one time when you spend uh, uh, away from home, right? I mean, till you're in 12th standard, most of us, other than the ones who are in boarding school, many of us, a majority of us would have been cocooned uh, in the comfort of our homes. Uh, so engineering, therefore, becomes this first time when you're staying away from the protection as well as the comfort of uh, getting food served on the platter. And pretty much if you needed a graph paper at uh, 12 a.m. at night, you would be on your own. So in that way, I think uh, BIT Mestra was what transformed us from uh, you know uh, boys to men uh, in that sense. I think an engineering, uh, uh, you know, or rather an MBA hostel um, is very different. I think uh, people either come there with work experience or after having spent, you know, four years figuring engineering or, or sometimes, uh, as I said, people with work experience as well. So I think I think hostel life in an MBA is very different. Uh, it's a lot more objective, you know, focuses a lot more on getting, um, you know, through those uh, six semesters, life is a lot more fast paced as compared to the relatively uh, slower paced, uh, if I will, for lack of a better word, uh, life in uh, in an engineering setup. So yeah, I think there are some fundamental differences. By any measure, I think the, the four years in an engineering hostel is a lot more fun uh, compared to the two years in MBA, which almost at times feels like an extended, uh, you know, workplace setting or really an extended uh, more academic or or more activity focused 
setting rather than a more chilled out university setting than an engineering has so yeah there are there are some subtle differences yeah 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 i i completely agree i mean very different but uh, you know e- equally uh, exciting yeah right so then uh, you know after college uh, you also became a published author i must mention it and you launched your own book the fresh brew uh, with a foreword by the great dr apj abdul kalam a uh, quick uh, thought about how it came up uh, as an idea and then at such an early age uh, you got into writing a book yeah so i i used to be a blogger uh, quite regularly uh, since i was probably 23 24 i started uh, blogging and i think two or three years into blogging um, you know i was i was doing my mba uh, uh, and and i was doing my mba in in majoring in marketing and i was pretty focused on uh, you know taking a consumer product to the market and uh, you know i thought why not i make my own product and experiment with taking it to the market so for me it was really uh, an and uh, uh, you know a marketing experiment and also an expression of my creativity as a as a blogger and writer um and and so uh, you know uh, i had a lot of stories to write but i wasn't a fiction writer i'm i'm not much of a fiction reader either uh been primarily a non fiction person so i decided to pick up some stories uh, of uh, i am lucknow uh, of alumni who uh, you know have graduated from i am lucknow but uh ended up uh, making choices that were uh, their own rather than choices that society expected them to take because they graduated from a certain b school so that was really the crux of the or the central message of the book and i think i am lucknow had some phenomenal alumni um so so we picked uh you know some of these stories so you know in the book you have people who have graduated from iml and become a football coach right uh, so we have uh, someone called satyajit sadanand who is a football coach and who coaches uh, you know uh, to under 14 fifa teams he's a fifa certified coach right we have uh, someone called gayatri ayer uh, who um, became a playback singer right uh, so the the message is uh, you know uh, do what you want to do if that's if that entails becoming an entrepreneur by all means become one if you want to become a football player or a coach do that if you want to become a musician do that um don't let society's expectations of your academic qualification uh, undermine what uh, you have always wanted to do uh, and i think that's that that message uh, resonated uh, uh, with uh, the the youth as well and with the uh, academic team and then um, obviously we were uh, blessed to have uh, dr apj abdul kalam agree to write uh, the foreword for this so i was pursuing with his office for uh, quite some time and i think that uh, the day that i got the email from his office saying you know dr kalam is finally accepted here's a copy of the foreword uh, here's the picture you can use and once the book is launched dr kalam invites you to come and meet him at his residence so i think that was a very special moment uh, uh, you know in my life that i will uh, always uh, remember and cherish yeah yeah interesting interesting uh so then brings me to my next uh, question and more than a question this is about uh, getting to hear your thoughts and views about moving uh, in and out of startup ecosystem versus working for big corporates uh, you know like tata digital uh, so was it uh, a choice you made or did it just happen uh, between uh, so throughout your professional journey and you have uh, i will come to your movements across geographies as well but yeah i mean what do you say about that 
Yeah. No, I think that there, there are some uh, very fundamental differences, uh, you know, of course, uh, that I also realized uh, when I moved from, uh, uh, you know, my, my corporate job uh, uh, to a startup, right, uh, at Capillary. Uh, so obviously, there is a lot less structure, a lot less governance, and a lot more focus on you directly being accountable for outcomes. Because I think accountability is, is uh, you know, more uh, governance focused uh, in, in larger corporates. Uh, where the the process and the governance uh, sort of makes sure that you know every individual person is accountable, so that the entire organization uh, delivers on the outcomes that have uh, been uh, decided upon and committed. Whereas in a startups, it's a question of survival, right? So it, there is no, yeah. I mean, as a startup matures, you know, uh, those processes start to uh, creep in as well, and that makes a, a startup leap from being a startup to a more mature organization. But you know, I joined a, an early stage startup where I could see this transition of processes um, and governance from a Series A or a pre-Series A company to a post-Series C company, right? And some of these uh, things mature uh, as the company itself or the startup itself grows uh, in its life cycle. So no, it, uh, it, it's it's been fun. There's obviously a lot of independence um, and freedom that you get, uh, uh, you know, in a startup. Uh, and at the same time, you know, in a corporate, there is a lot more uh, you know, uh, stability, comfort, uh, uh, processes, um, and of course, a, a lot of benefits and, and, and uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, advantages that come in, uh, uh, you know, uh, while operating in a larger setup as well. So I think I think both have their um, areas that, uh, you know, make one uh, piece stand out uh, over the other. Um, and I think there are uh, clear advantages uh, in operating in both different environments. Yeah, and I've been, I've been fortunate to be able to, uh, you know, switch uh, back and forth a couple of times between uh, these two uh, in, in my last 12 odd years. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's also uh, like what, what we can see uh, is between these uh, startups and the corporate journey, it's also the movement that you uh, made physically through uh, multiple geographies. So if we may know a little bit more about that, where did it all start? Yeah. I remember you working with Loda Group in Mumbai, but then what next? Yes. Then how did you decide on the opportunities and what was the vision when you were just starting up? So like, for example, China, uh, I'm sure the vision uh, would have been uh, different from what you ended up doing in about four or five years or, or was it always like that? So just share uh, some some more insights so we could all learn from this. Yeah, sure. No, so I, as you said, you know, with, with my first sort of job post my MBA was with uh, Loda Group. It was a very, uh, very uh, standardized, uh, you know, marketing uh, and brand management, you know, uh, role for a for an MBA fresher, right? So I was working on creative, I was working on a bit of, uh, you know, content. It was obviously in the area of luxury real estate. And, you know, at that time, uh, you know, uh, Bombay was sort of starting out and then, you know, eventually boomed uh, in the luxury real estate sector. I was working on apartments. Uh, which were sort of done by uh, George Germani. So sort of uh, working at this intersection of luxury marketing as well as, uh, you know, ATL marketing and promotions uh, uh, in, in in India, right? Uh, primarily uh, to the audience in Bombay as well as internationally. Uh, so, so that had a smaller international component. Of course, it was more focused on the Indian consumer and the Indian mindset and looking at marketing through that lens. Uh, and at that time, it so happened that uh, I got an offer uh, uh, to join uh, Capillary, which was an early stage uh, startup uh, in CRM uh, and loyalty. And uh, <clears throat> what I realized is in my two years in this brand management role, 
at Lodha, obviously, we used to have a smaller marketing budget focused on digital in 2010-11, uh, you know, when I joined. And what I could see is, you know, between 2011 and 12, the spend that was going to digital, whether it is SEM or whether it is, you know, advertising on platforms like 99acres and makan.com. So we had a small digital team back then at Lotha Group. Uh, but I could see that, you know, even within two years, that was uh, increasing rapidly, right? So I, if I broadly remember, it would be about, you know, three to four percent of the marketing spend that was there, uh, you know, during the initial years. And then, you know, by the end of two years, that uh, started touching eight to 10 percent of that spend going to digital or investments in digital, you know, including marketing automation and things like that in, in a sector like real estate, which was uh, pretty much a laggard in terms of adopting digital compared to retail e-commerce and, and uh, things that started around that same time as well, 2011, 12, 13. So, and I could see that clearly as a marketer, a lot of the spends were going to digital, right? And that's the reason I made uh, that choice to move. Uh, reason it also made sense for Capillary is that, you know, I was in a marketing role and uh, Capillary as a platform was being largely targeted uh, at marketers in retail and mm-hmm. consumer facing companies. So it was sort of a good match. And that's why I made that transition. Also, uh, I'd always been uh, someone who was very uh, keen on exploring cultures, cross-cultural communication uh, uh, and management globally. So uh, the role at Capillary made sense because they were starting to uh, set up their uh, international operations and they wanted me to look at uh, a role focused on the U.S. market, primarily in, in sales, marketing, and customer success uh, in the uh, in the U.S. geography. So that's uh, what I did. I think the first two or three years were focused on the uh, U.S. market largely, uh, and uh, spent about six to eight months in New York, and then about a year in the West Coast. And that was fun because you know we had a we had a local sales team uh, in the in the U.S. Um, and I was sort of the bridge between that sales team, you know, and the product. Uh, uh, team uh, back in India. So I would spend a lot of time on the US, uh, you know, in the US on the ground traveling from, you know, city to city, uh, you know, and a, a very typical US sales job, right? So you travel from city A to city B, uh, uh, airport to airport, take a uh, rent a car, uh, you know, through a car rental, drive down to the client's location, you know, do your sales pitch, uh, as we used to call sometimes a dog and pony show where you sort of show your uh, you know, uh, skills and arts uh, or, or the features of your product and then shut your suitcase, go take the car, drive back to the airport, drop the car, take the flight and go back to your hometown or your, your home city uh, based location in the US. So so that was actually a lot of fun. Uh, we had a lot of hits and misses. I think personally, I had more misses than hits, uh, but uh, it was it was a phenomenal experience. And then uh, at that time, Capillary was raising its Series C and uh, uh, we decided to invest uh, uh, in in China as a key location, uh, and so me and and my wife uh, 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 decided to give this a shot. Uh, you know, we didn't have a we didn't have any anyone to speak with about living in China or life in China, and you know we were this was about 2015, so we were you know uh, married, uh, and and we thought okay, you know this is, and we didn't have kids then, so we thought this was pretty much the only time we can really go and explore without any. Uh, sort of uh, any any responsibilities that we were bound by right and so we thought you know let's give it a shot we don't have anyone else that can give us any advice on how it's going to work or what we should or should not do so we just thought we'll go with an open mind and then just see what comes out and i think uh, we were extremely uh, we had an extremely satisfying both personally and professionally for both me and my wife so eventually it was a fun uh, four four and a half years uh, in china that must be a very different, but I'm sure extremely interesting and exciting experience. So this is way back in 2013, 14. 
or this was or, yeah so 15 uh, 2015 to 2019 uh, uh, is when we were in china yeah so 2015 yes is when we moved yeah before that i was more focused on the us and europe so spent most of my time between uh, london new york and san francisco in 2013 to 15 and yeah. 2015 onwards was based in shanghai so then how uh, i would say prepared or planned were you when you just started it so you moved to the you moved to china uh, yeah there was no team no no there was no team we didn't have the company registered so we just sort of you know got the uh, company registered and the documentation done now i'm told it's a lot easier to set up uh, uh, companies in china but back then it was a three month uh, process through a lot of government clearances controls for even you know opening a bank account um, and things like that so uh, no so a lot of time was spent on some of those uh, paperwork and formalities again as i said it, it's i think it's become a little easier now uh, from what i hear but yes uh, you know we we had a customer in uh, uh, singapore uh, it's it's a large asian retail uh, conglomerate that wanted to take us to uh, uh, china so so that was sort of our uh, vehicle to move into china right otherwise it's very difficult uh, to explore the market on your own but because we had this uh, large customer who was uh, uh, you know uh, invested in us and wanted us to be invested in them it was sort of a happy marriage and that became the foundation to our entry into china so a lot of startups that i speak with uh, when they ask me about how to establish product market fit uh, in a place like china i think you will definitely need to sort of have a first customer on board uh, you should ideally before you enter the market because that is what then gives you the you know both the financial comfort as well as the industry inputs or insights that you will need to start adapting your product to the chinese market and that's what exactly we had the advantage of Uh, so i would say that is one factor that worked very strongly in our favor as we as we said about hiring our initial team and uh, adapting our product uh, initially to the market in china so then um, you know what could we learn from your experience what is that one or two thing that you would definitely advise to a sales leader or a or an entrepreneur who's looking to set up an office or just to looking to sell in china or to chinese clients you know uh, so or maybe setting up teams as well so what are these couple of things that you definitely would recommend someone is it the language or is it the cultural understanding or what could it be yeah no i would say uh, you bring out very good points on language and cultural understanding so i actually uh, incidentally the reason i was sort of uh, picked by the team at capillary and i was part of the core you know management team as well and the reason we decided me Uh, that i would move to china is largely because i could speak chinese uh, some basic chinese before i could even move and over the four years i invested a lot of time in speaking chinese you know writing reading typing i gave the uh, official chinese examination uh, you know cleared level 4 spent a lot of time studying the language as well um uh, and that worked to my advantage so i think the the one most important uh, takeaway from my time in china is uh, is that uh, if you want to sell in china you have to be chinese uh right you have to be native chinese and that's the simple uh, advice right be native chinese and that can be manifested in different ways right so one uh, you you hire uh, you know a chinese person uh, who you can sort of who has domain expertise in your, your area and can can be the face of your company right or you send someone from your uh, team uh, uh, you know in other markets to sort of represent you there but any which ways i think what will matter most is that you have to be native chinese so that uh, a the the customers trust you right i mean there is a very 
there are a lot of stories about uh, you know foreign companies trying to enter china and failing because they could not adapt enough or be local enough or be native enough right and i can totally relate to that because for us it's taken us uh, a lot of effort uh, as a company to put our skin in that game uh, of being totally native and understanding the cultural nuances understanding the selling nuances so i think that's extremely critical the second piece is you know for founders and sales leaders uh, it's really not about hiring a team and operating it uh, remotely right so this entire remote control way uh, of operating uh, works uh, for most other markets but i'm not sure it works for china right uh, of course there's there's covid etc now and and things are becoming a lot more remote so it will be good to see whether you know startups and businesses can uh, establish uh, or rather start establish and continue to deliver results from china uh, where the leadership a core leadership of the company is located outside china i don't know how that will work yet but i think a lot of things are changing with covid but we'll have to see that but if this discussion was pre covid my suggestion to every entrepreneur founder and sales leader would be please spend a lot of time on the ground in china because the market there is extremely uh, advanced as far as digital is concerned and it it really requires a lot of on the ground understanding and at capillary you know our ceo and and our sales leadership uh, and our overall uh, corporate uh, company leadership spent a lot of time across product engineering uh, uh, sales uh, and uh, the founder himself we spent a lot of time on the ground uh, uh, understanding uh, business uh, there especially in the early uh, years of product market fit Mm-hmm. All right, all right. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, the success that you and your team achieved in China uh, is a clear testimonial of uh, how basics like spending some time physically in China and hiring a team locally. I have read a couple of posts and the uh, published articles that uh, you have been a part of. So clearly, I can see the focus on being local, feeling local, act local is is quite. prominent so uh, yeah i mean that's a that's a really good piece of advice for any uh, uh, entrepreneurs or sales leaders looking to expand or set up a team in china so thanks for that amit uh, now coming back to india and even before that you know uh, your experience as a professional in working for a crm and loyalty leader uh, in that space my question is of course because i belong to the same ecosystem is also out of curiosity what do you think uh, indian brands uh, when it comes to customer engagement when it comes to having a sophisticated crm in place smart loyalty solutions i mean sometimes i do feel surprised uh, and shocked as well to see that uh, we are not doing a, a great job we need to catch up thanks to uh, technology especially in last 6 7 months of course we have seen this uh, change transformation in the mindset i would say i mean i won't say actual transformation on the ground but in the mindset that people are looking to explore uh, or uh, or transform themselves digitally of course uh, we have a long way to go but what do you think uh, could be a problem in the adoption of uh, platforms like uh, you know automation platforms crm platforms having those uh, sophisticated tech integrations in place india being despite being a tech leader uh, in building solution and product for the world what do you think is is the challenge is it about the priority because we are at a stage where uh, uh, every company is just looking to acquire new customers rather than focusing on what they already have 
but uh, i find it very surprising and funny what is your take on that yeah i think i think as an ecosystem one of the things that uh, uh, i've seen work extremely well in china again you know the, for the last uh, uh, six or seven years uh, of course right now i'm working on the indian market uh, focused uh, since middle of last year so it's been about a year year and a half but uh, before that i was primarily focused uh, uh, externally uh, to, to to markets outside and what i had uh, noticed uh, especially from my learnings in china that you know in china there is as far as you know consumer uh, internet space is concerned uh, there are two large uh, platforms right there is either the wechat or the alibaba platforms uh, including tmall and and, and, and uh, alipay right and really if you are a startup that's wanting to uh, get consumers or leverage any of the core tech or ecosystem capabilities you would have to really build for either of these two ecosystems which i think doesn't exist today right so and then and therefore as you know any sort of uh, you know founder trying to build a new consumer business uh, acquisition becomes extremely challenging right this this is as far as the new newer age businesses are concerned uh, as far as existing businesses are concerned i think uh, you know what i've seen uh, to become a challenge over the last uh, few years in india is obviously uh, you know sms as a as a form of communication has become uh, pretty much redundant for uh, brands other than uh, you know notifications and and sort of uh, thanking otps and things like that right email is still still there uh, provided a consumer wants to engage with you um, but again uh, you know getting someone to download uh, your app and if you especially if you're a single brand or a single business uh, uh traditional operating in a traditional uh, setup is extremely hard right unless you have consumers who are so engaged or a value proposition that is so compelling uh, that users download the app so i think that's been a persistent challenge uh, i feel what's worked in china is you know most brands today have a strong presence on uh, you know either wechat or the ali platform and that becomes their uh, center point for customer engagement uh, in the absence of email and sms being channels in china so i think this entire ecosystem play uh, uh, will be uh, uh, will be uh, one where we might see uh, offtake uh, for brands uh, if if they were to uh, uh, you know uh, build ecosystems uh, of their own um, and, and and we'll have to see how this space evolves in india yeah yeah and i'm like i said we have seen uh, quite uh, a different approach uh, in some of the conversation that uh, we have been having with our uh, uh, with some of the brands in our sales pipeline uh, they definitely feel now is the time in fact they some of them have accepted that they have been late but yeah better late than uh, keep delaying it forever so different times for all of us and uh, of course the entire ecosystem has been uh, operating at a at a very different uh, level altogether uh, like this year uh, so far h1 uh, advertising uh, spends on digital platforms and ott combined has uh, uh, crossed the spends on tv so that's the latest wow. data that was quite fascinating mm-hmm. to hear but i'm sure things will change back to uh, i mean they may not go back to what they were last year but yeah this would definitely change in next 6 uh, months or so or later because at some point uh, tv and print and you know that will come back into picture uh, yet yeah. to see that these spends on digital platform will go down or not i think that won't happen uh, 
yeah uh, any specific uh, use case or a case study from a crm perspective that you feel uh, uh, you could highlight i mean uh, yeah. some of the brand that you would have worked for would have some yeah. really amazing case studies yeah so you know as far, i think previously we were talking about you know how digital transformation has happened in india i can share specific instances i think i've spoken a bit about china but if i were to rewind back to 2013 and 14 right earlier parts of this decade uh, uh, you know i have one case study uh, from uh, uh, from new york in the us and the other one uh, with a with a very large pizza delivery company one of the world's largest uh, in in uk right um so on the first one i think what i'd seen it was you know this was a boutique fashion uh, brand on the fashion avenue in new york right uh, on the 7th avenue and these guys had about 10 to 12 boutique stores and you know even for a leading fashion retailer in new york uh, which was extremely fashion forward their ability to or their intention to spend on digital uh, was extremely low because you know the moment you talk about fashion and luxury some of these uh uh you know uh, investments in digital become uh, uh big question marks because their entire premise is based on you know bespoke collections for uh you know uh, the select few right and so the entire concept of digital where it is you know more mass focused and uh, a volume game doesn't apply to boutique or luxury fashion retailers right so and therefore you know even within retail the levels of uh, adoption uh, vary a lot right if you were to look at more mass market use cases and the second piece of our as i was telling you i'll talk about um, a large pizza chain uh, in, uh, in 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 the uk right so for them and, and this is back in 2014 uh, they obviously uh, being a being part of a large uh, global corporate wanted to spend a lot of time on data driven marketing because in 2013 14 um, data driven marketing segmentation targeting based on digital uh, platforms was becoming uh, was emerging to be uh, an area of innovation and what we noticed is you know um, pizza delivery uh, businesses had a huge volume of data on delivery businesses more than dine in so a lot of time was spent on you know uh, analyzing this data to power everything from customer engagement to where you should open your next store to uh, you know which are the channels that you should communicate consumers with to the kind of creatives that should go into someone who liked a vegetarian pizza versus a non vegetarian pizza to you know whether the coupon or the promotion should be optimized towards uh, you know people who wanted to uh, who were more offer driven versus people who didn't really care about promotions or discounts so a lot of different uh, sort of dimensions to analyze and slice and dice this data was going into delivery and that started paying you know fairly good dividends in terms of the roi on some of the uh, marketing spends and on some of these campaigns uh, that uh, you know this pizza retailer was doing that we were helping them with and over time what we realized is some of the same richness in terms of insights and data started powering you know use cases like where you should open their next store and what are the learnings that they could apply to their you know inventory management and what could they use to then power the customer experience in offline uh, experiences or dine in stores at pizza uh, restaurants as well so so i think i think that was uh, a pretty powerful uh, 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 sort of story that started emerging in food uh, uh, restaurant and delivery space and of course post that you know globally as well as in india you know 2014 15 is when the entire uh, you know proliferation of 
food tech, as we called it then with some of the early pioneers. And then, of course, now we have, uh, you know, the Swiggies and Zomatos and, and, and a few others that are dominating the ecosystem in India. But I think I think those were sort of uh, the early days where traditional businesses were starting to experiment with uh, data insights uh, from their delivery business as well. And of course, now it's at a whole uh, altogether different level. Right, right. Uh, any any specific brand in India that you uh, really uh, admire for their uh, consumer experience, customer experience, or overall brand experience? Personally, uh, yeah, I, I think personally, uh, you know, well, in in, in India, uh, I. Uh, you know, uh, I haven't, uh, you know, spent uh, the last eight, nine years in India. So top of the mind, the two brands that uh, occur to me are, in, in, you know, incidentally, both global brands, uh, which have uh, sort of extended the same uh, uh, level of experience in India. First one is Starbucks. Uh, you know, it has one of the most successful uh, loyalty programs uh, globally. And one of the things that I like about Starbucks, and I've been a uh, sort of Starbucks uh, uh, loyalty uh, member, uh, my Starbucks rewards is what they call it, you know, across the U.S., China, and and now in India as well. I think I think what really uh, appeals to me is uh, the way Starbucks has built such a strong brand in an area that can vary so much culturally, right? So, you know, even their loyalty program is the same. Their their rules of their loyalty program and customer experience. Uh, are the same no matter which country you go to, right? And that makes it, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I always uh, admire how a brand can deliver a consistent experience to their customers across markets in a way that retains their brand identity and also appeals to members of, you know, 100 plus countries uh, globally where they have presence. And I think that's something Starbucks has done extremely well, both from an overall customer experience and loyalty perspective. The second one, of course, is Apple uh, with you know, the entire experience that they have around the product. So I would say, uh, you know, these two examples would be top of mind and they would be a little different because Starbucks has been focused more on the overall, uh, you know, service uh, and experience, whereas Apple has been more on uh, uh, the product, on innovation around the product and experience, right? So two distinct uh, examples that come to mind. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, uh, the overall consumer experience uh, is, is just amazing with Starbucks. And uh, Great. So thanks, Amit, for doing this. Uh, thank you for your time. And I, I really loved our conversation. Uh, uh, I think probably this would be the, the first time we'll be having such a formal uh, discussion, but really loved it. And uh, equally interesting to hear your experience uh, working in China and uh, setting up that team and how do we get into that uh, uh, territory. So thanks for that and appreciate your time. Uh, you have a good weekend, Amit. Thank you. Thanks, Vijayan. It's great speaking to you and thanks for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode. We hope you found it useful write to us at the digital couch at vfirst.com for any suggestions. To know more about Value First, visit www.vfirst.com. See you in our next episode. Till then, keep spreading joy.